Welcome to the Self-Fellowship Church Podcast. Here at Self-Fellowship, we exist to help people live in the way of Jesus with the heart of Jesus. Wherever you're listening from today, we hope you are encouraged by this week's message. Hey, well, good morning, everyone. It is great to see you all. And I, I'm sorry, I wish I could tell you how to take off your mask, but I can't. So I appreciate how all of you are keeping your mask on. But um, it, it's really good to see you this morning. And, you know, I really thank Alex uh, giving me the opportunity to, uh, to preach. I know we all want to hear Alex more and more. Um, you have to put up with me this morning. So uh, we're going to be looking at a, a passage in John chapter 3, if you want to turn to that. But um, I would just start by saying, you know, it was a couple weeks ago. Carrie and I had a terrific opportunity. We went back east. We went back to Lancaster, Pennsylvania, which was a place uh, where I pastored the first church I ever pastored in. And uh, it was a terrific time of reminiscing. They were dedicating a new part of the building they had had built. But um, Carrie and I were there because it was the 40th anniversary, which gives you a little bit of an idea how old I am. Um, But we had a A wonderful time of celebrating with them. And then we got to go up and see my 98-year-old mom. Mom, if you're watching, sorry about that. Um, But that was about a six or seven-hour drive. And you know, when you drive a long time, you uh, a lot of time get these books on tape or or audio books. So uh, we downloaded an audio book and we listened to it, and it was a fascinating journey. I have no idea what the title of that book was, because I was so enamored with what the story was. It was the uh, true story of a a fellow, and I'm just going to flip here, uh, a a doctor, although they never did prove he was a doctor. He was a fellow who emigrated from Slovenia, and uh, he just had a heart for babies, for premature babies. And this was back in the late 1800s, early 1900s. And the medical community wasn't quite in sync with this fellow. Um, This fellow was developing what was now known as the incubator. And uh, it was amazing that as he would perfect these incubators, um, hospitals were not pleased. In fact, for for the medical establishment at that time, they kind of felt that premature babies, yeah, that wasn't really a good use of their time. So a lot of the babies that he took care of came from hospitals who had just given up on him, came from parents who were desperate. And he couldn't do this in the hospitals themselves, so guess what? He moved to Coney Island. And he set up a sideshow, almost like a freak show. And if you look down there in the bottom of that picture, it it, it says baby incubators. It was a display on the sideshow on the the fair of Coney Island. He, He actually adopted the name Dr. Coney. And that didn't fly too well, so he finally changed it to Dr. Cooney. Um, Amazing. And he had nurses that would work with him. People would pay 25 cents to come in and see these premature babies. And that's how he uh, paid for the care of these children, because he never charged the parents a penny. And he did this for about 30 years. And in those 30 years, folks, listen to this. He saved 6,500 lives. And... People went through and, and uh, interviewed some of, the, uh, some of the little kids who had grown up into adults. It was an amazing story. Toward the end of his time, some doctors began to take notice of the results. And they began to wonder, boy, is this credible, what he's doing? 
And they began to try to find out more and more how Dr. Cooney had uh, transformed this whole thing of incubators. And now we find incubators in every hospital. Amazing story. Um, it made me stop and think, I wonder what it was like for Jesus and the religious establishment of the day. Did they look at Jesus as kind of one of those odd sideshows? Uh, and, and most of them criticized Jesus and what he was doing, and this ragtag group of men that were following him, men and women, um, they had a hard time with him. This morning, though, we're going to take a look at one of those religious leaders that was actually, I believe, kind of courageous to kind of step out. Just like some of those doctors embraced Dr. Cooney at the end of his time. I believe this man we're going to look at this morning, Nicodemus in John chapter 3, is going to teach us a lot about courage. So let me read this passage. In fact, let's read it together. I'm going to throw it up on the uh, screen here. John chapter 3, beginning of verse 1. We're going to read through the first 17 verses. So join with me. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean? exclaimed Nicodemus. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. How are these things possible? Nicodemus added, asked. And Jesus replied, hey, you're a respected Jewish teacher, and yet you don't understand these things? I assure you, we tell you what we know and have seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Powerful words, powerful words. Um, let's just bow for a word of prayer, and then let's dig in. Oh, Father... I thank you for this scripture. Yeah, I thank you for uh, just the words that are put down here. And, and Lord, I'm not sure how you, you transferred this all to John. Whether it was Nicodemus telling him about it or whether it, was, uh, whether it was your spirit just inspiring John to write these words down. Um, I, I know that it was you filling and having just the right words that you wanted for us today, that you wanted for all these generations from John's time till now. Lord, thank you. Thanks for loving us enough to do that. And now as we dig in, I just pray that you would make them come alive to us. Ah, thank you, Father. I pray this in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Amen. Now, let me just confess right off the bat. I've always approached these verses that Nicodemus was kind of one of those religious leaders that was coming to kind of be a little snorky with Jesus. Um, and and uh, when I would look at these, like I've just kind of highlighted some. He was a Pharisee. You know, the Pharisees were not the good guys in the New Testament story. Um, it seems like they were always challenging Jesus. And, and furthermore, he was a religious leader. Uh, he was part of the San... That means he was part of the Sanhedrin, which is like the 70 rulers that would uh, officially deal with cases that came up. Um, it, this one always used to puzzle me. After dark, he came one evening to speak with Jesus. And, and I must admit, I always kind of thought, that's scaredy cat. He just doesn't want to be caught talking to Jesus. And, and then when I read what he said, uh, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Sounds a little patronizing to me. I'm afraid it was a little bit tough on Nicodemus. Um, as I was preparing for and Alex, thanks for asking me. I, you know, it's funny. Uh, whenever I preach, I always tell the staff, okay, I'm in battle rattle, and you know, I'm working through this. And granted, I was in battle rattle this week, but it was a great battle rattle. It was a great time just to wrestle with this passage because as I was looking at it, there was a man named Nicodemus. Um, I looked at other versions. And some of you may be looking at your own version, whether it's NIV or ESV, and, and you'll notice that that first phrase starts a little bit differently. It, it starts, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. And it was enough to kind of make me say, well, I wonder if there's an extra word in there that I'm not seeing in my translation." And so I kind of dug into it. This is a little Greeky. Sorry about that. But there was, there's a little particle, a little word, a little conjunction. And it's, and it's called an adversative conjunction. If an adversative conjunction, you can kind of get the idea. Conjunction means it draws two uh, thoughts together. Adversative means there's a little bit of adversarial type or, or a change of thought. And most of the time, it's translated, but... But I looked at about every, every translation I could find. I found one that said, but. So, you know, I don't usually like to step out and say, hey, this is right. But I think it's right. I, don't, <laughs> um, I think it's right. And, you know, what is this uh, kind of contrasting? Well, you got to go back. Remember when John wrote these things down? I mean, he didn't have chapters and verses. Uh, they came later on, so we could have Bible drills and stuff like that. What can I say? But um, John wrote this down as one book, and it flows together. So let me go back to the verses just before this. Because of the miraculous signs that Jesus did in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration, many began to trust in him. But Jesus did not trust them because he knew all about people. No one needed to tell him about human nature, for he knew what was in each person's heart. But there was a man named Nicodemus. And that just kind of jumped out at me when I started to put it together in that context. Um, yeah, Jesus had done some amazing things during this Passover time, and there were people that saw those amazing signs, and they said, wow, I want to follow this guy. If I can get a free meal, if I can get healed, yes, I'm with him. Jesus knew their hearts, and he didn't entrust himself to that. He was looking for people who truly wanted to know what he was about. But there was a man named Nicodemus, and I like that. So Nicodemus comes to him, 
And now I look at these words a little differently. If I start to try to be a little bit more positive in my outlook, I see a man who was a Pharisee. And as I dug into this stuff about Pharisees, you know, there was like 6,000 Pharisees that were set apart in Israel at any one time. That was the most they could have. So this was quite a feat for him to be a Pharisee. And the Pharisees, they were all about trying to take the law that they had, all those different laws, all those different rules and regulations, and understand them, learn how to live by them so that they could please God. And when I started looking at that, I realized, you know, these were some pretty sincere and passionate individuals. And I believe Nicodemus was a sincerely passionate man who wanted so much to follow Jesus. I'm sorry, to follow God. Um, It said he was a religious leader. Yeah, he was part of the Sanhedrin. Part of those 70 that were set aside to listen to to trials, to courts. He, he He was up there. He had authority among the Jewish community. And when I realized that, I realized, wow, what an amazing thing he did to come and talk to Jesus. To to be able to step uh, aside from some of that uh, aura and and, and come and meet with this Jesus who might be seen as a sideshow, as a freak show. After dark one evening, you know, like I said, I always looked at that as he was a little bit scared to be associated. And then I read in one of the commentaries I was looking at that rabbis said the best time to study the law and engage in good conversation is in the evening after dark when there's not a lot of people around and you can just focus together. And I really believe that's why Nicodemus came. But there was a man named Nicodemus who came. Um, Jesus says later on in this passage uh, that Nicodemus was one of the respected teachers of Israel. Um, Just using that word, the, seems to set Nicodemus off that he might have been one of the, you know, one of the top five in Israel that was respected. Amazing that Nicodemus would step out and come. And then I look at that rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. And um, yeah, I shared with you how I always used to look at that kind of patronizingly. Um, but then when you really get into the, again, Greek, Greekiness, um, some of your versions may have, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God. That's quite a statement for a guy who is a Pharisee to say, you've come from God. I recognize that. It's not just that you make sense. But there's something amazing that you come from God. Well, we lay that all out. And you would think Jesus might say, well, thanks, Nicodemus. You know, he doesn't. I I would say thanks. If somebody said that to me, good grief. But uh, instead, Jesus just launches right in. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And... I've I've highlighted that I tell you the truth. Some of your versions may have truly, truly, or verily, verily. Uh, And and actually, I believe that this phrase sets off like three movements that we're going to see in this passage. Uh, But let me tell you what I think this I tell you the truth really means. Or uh, truly, truly. It means, Nicodemus, focus. Look at me, Nicodemus. Look at me right now. Focus in and listen to what I'm going to say. 
because this is important. It's truth. And, and I believe in this short statement that he makes, there's, there's two things that pop out to us. Two things that emerge that are very important. One is, uh, you, if, if you're not born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And I believe in that statement, Jesus is saying, Nicodemus, you've come to me tonight. And yes, you know, it's nice what you said to me, but you're coming because you want to know more about this kingdom, more about the kingdom of God. And I want to tell you, um, if you're not born again, you're never even going to see it. Um, you know, I, I think uh, Nicodemus might have heard some of the teachings of, of Jesus. Uh, we have the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And a lot of people believe that that sermon was kind of a template of what Jesus would use all over the Galilean areas. He would teach, and people would hear that over and over. And in that, he kind of gives them an example of how to pray. And in that, he says, uh, when you're praying, say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I bet you that captures Nicodemus's imagination what are you saying about this kingdom? I want to know more because I've spent my whole life trying to perfect these laws so that we can function in such a way that God would be pleased with us and we could kind of be this kingdom. But I almost believe that Nicodemus realizes we haven't made it to base one. I tell you the truth, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And how does Nicodemus respond? What do you mean? exclaimed Nicodemus. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? How in the world can I be rebirthed? How, how I'm old. I can't go back into my mom. You know, I said there were two things. And uh, maybe I need to go back. Because that other thing has to do with how Nicodemus is taking that. That phrase, born again. Born again. Um, and, and we use that over and over and over and over. And I think sometimes that born-again phrase has kind of lost some of its born-again meaning. So I want us to go back and kind of dig into what this really means, born-again. Um, yeah, it's the typical word born. Yes, it's a birth. But then there's a little word put on the back of it called anothen. Uh, anothen. Um, let me just swing to it. And anothen means again or a second time. Or to be reborn, yes. But anothen is also this amazing word that has a variety of meanings. Yes, it means again, but it also means anew. It also means to be radically new or radically changed. Uh, there, there's some kind of a rebirth that, that brings a change, and I'll use the word transformation. So it can talk about a repeating, like I'm going to be born repeat it again, or it can be talked about anew, like I can be born anew in a real transforming way, or there's a third meaning, and this last one is the way it's normally used, interesting, um, from above, or from God. So when you put it together with that word born, it can mean born from God, born from above, um, and, and the stuff I was reading about it was, you know, it really, it pulls all three together. All three together. And kind of what I would see, if I'm born anothen, I am born anew from above. 
And if I'm going to be born anew, that already assumes I'm born again. I'm going through this born or this birth process a second time, but I'm going to be born in a transformative way, and I'm going to be born from above the work that God does. And that's what I think this anothin means. And Nicodemus, Nicodemus takes it to mean that first phrase, just the physical phrase, uh, born again, physically. And I can understand why he would think that. Because everything he's doing in his religious structure is based upon his human effort. I'm wondering if he's taken back a little bit to realize, wow, you mean, you mean God might actually get involved in that? Because his whole religious structure is, I'm making my way to God. Not God bringing transformation to me. Um, you know, I told you we went out to Lancaster. Great time. It was fun reminiscing. They asked us a bunch of questions. Carrie and I, it actually made us feel good. You know, yeah. old dumpers, here we are, going back there. You know, and we found this church out there in Lancaster. Wanted to know what it was like 40 years ago when we planted this church. And they asked us a bunch of questions. We sat with a staff on Saturday night asking us all kinds of questions. Sunday morning, they interviewed us. One of the questions they asked us was, what were some of the challenges you faced in those um, early years as this church was being planted? And it caused Carrie and I to reminisce and to think back. And I'm just going to share one story. Uh, I'll, I'll give her the name Jean, and we'll just call it Jean's story. I'll try to protect her identity. But um, Jean was a, a wonderful gal in our church, young adult, vivacious, had a great job, Loved Jesus, uh, served in a lot of ways at the church, and she also had a terrific drug problem. She was addicted to drugs. And we tried to pour our lives into helping her. We did all kinds of things. I, I can still remember, you know, I, I always said to her, Jean, if you need help, just call me. Call me. Uh, one Saturday night, I got a call. And I could always tell it was Jean because she wouldn't say anything. So I pick up the phone, and it's silent. And I found out, Gene, is this you? Yes. Okay, what's going on? I bought some drugs. Oh. Okay. You know, Gene, I'm going to ask you, why don't you go and, and flush them down the toilet right now? I don't think I can do that. Hmm. Well, if you want to bring them to me, I'll do that for you. Click. Anyway. And that was Saturday night. Um, you know, Sunday morning comes, and my mind's all over the place because we're going there. We set up for the church, and we're in there worshiping, having a good time. And all of a sudden, I feel this kind of tap on my shoulder, and I turn around, and it's Jean, and she hands me a bag. <laughs> so I take this bag, and I go, oh, man, I don't want to look. Um, I just kind of stuffed it into my coat pocket. <laughs> Went up there, preached a sermon. <laughs> Afterwards, you know, we're saying goodbye to everybody, and then we and finally everybody's gone. I went in, pulled the bag out, looked at it, and I saw, oh man, there's a bunch of pills. Um, I called her. I said, Jean, okay, thank you for giving me this. Did you take any? She said, no. I said, how much is this worth? I paid $600. I said, okay, I commend you for giving them to me. It took four flushes. But I finally got it all down the toilet. Um, 
you know, we did a variety of things with Jean. Uh, eventually, it came to an intervention where her friends got together. And I remember it happened in our living room. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, the air turned blue as we tried to reason with Jean and just say, Jean, we need to, you, you need to let go of these drugs. We're here for you. But we can't be here if you're going to take drugs. She got up and stormed out, swore the whole way. You know, I thought, well, I guess, I guess we lost that one. The next morning, or the next afternoon, I get this call, silence. I said, is this Eugene? Yes, it's me. And she finally said, I think I'm ready to go to a rehab. So I drove over to Jean. She hopped in, had a duffel bag, and I drove her to a rehab a little ways away. She stayed there for about three months and finally checked herself out. And then it was just a series of on again, off again, on again, off again, until finally she disappeared and she just got enmeshed in drugs. Uh, Carrie and I left Lancaster, came out here to Denver, and, um, you know, really didn't think of it too much after that. Um, we found ourselves about 10 years later. I got a phone call one day, and it was Jean, and there wasn't silence on the phone. She said, uh, Dan, this is, this is Jean, and I'd love to get together with you for supper tonight. I said, where are you? She said, well, I'm up at Breckenridge. I'm at a conference. I said, oh, my goodness. Well, Jean, sure, sure, we'll get together with you. So Carrie and I met her for supper. I always remember this. We got together, and there was a smile in her eyes. And she started out by saying, Dan, Carrie, I just want you to know God finally got a hold of my life. And I've been drug-free for about eight years. And I've continued working at my job, but I've started to take night classes, and I'm studying to be a drug counselor. And actually, I'm very involved in a church out in Lancaster who has a drug, prob or a drug program. And um, I just wanted you to know that I'm up here at a conference training people to counsel for drugs. Um, I loved it. And then she said words that really I'll never forget. Thank you. Thank you. I know that was hard. I know I was a, a stickler in so many ways, but thanks. Uh, and I realized, wow, born anothen, born anew from above, born anew from above. And I'm sure, I hope we all have stories like that, whether it's our own personal story or whether it's others. Um, but let's go back to Nicodemus now, because we left Nicodemus kind of saying, oh, in my world, I'm an old guy. How do I get born again? Get back into my mother's womb. That just doesn't happen. And Jesus comes in and says these words. Um, oh, I forgot this point. Sorry. <laughs> to be born anew from above or anothen results in living as kingdom citizens. Brings transformation into our lives. I looked at Jean with a whole new way of seeing her. Here was someone who was helping people with something that she had struggled with. What a terrific person to be able to do that. She was now a kingdom citizen, making a difference. Got to move on to Nicodemus, though. We're never going to get through this. Uh, so Jesus replies to Nicodemus, who's still back thinking about, how do I get born again? Jesus says, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say, you must be born anothen, or born anew from above. Uh, the wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So you 
can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. He starts out by saying, okay, Nicodemus, tune in. Focus. Focus. Because I'm going to tell you some truth right now. Uh, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God. Not only is it you can't see the kingdom unless you're born again. No one can enter the kingdom unless you're born of water and the Spirit. And I would just, I, I think this next slide gives a, another point. To be born anew from above, anothen, not only results in living as kingdom citizens, but it results in living through the Spirit's power. Amen. Born of water and the Spirit. Um, you know, if I think just in this context of John, I think of John the Baptist. When John the Baptist was ministering, he said, hey, I, I baptize you with water for repentance, but there's someone coming after me who's going to baptize you with the Spirit. Now, I don't know that Nicodemus knew much about John the Baptist. So when Jesus uses this illustration of water and the Spirit, I think he's going back much farther. Remember, Nicodemus was a great teacher of the Israelite people. I think Nicodemus, when, when he heard that water and Spirit, I think he went right back to the very get-go, to the beginning. To Genesis 1. Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and the darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the water. I believe that Nicodemus taught this many times to his students. The water was formless and void, and the Spirit of God hovered over the waters, and the creation occurred, an amazing creation. And frankly, folks, I don't care how long you believe it took or how short you believe it took. What I care is that you know that God created. And God hovered over these waters, and he took that in his creation power. He created the heavens and the earth. He created the land and the water. He created the birds and the fish. He created the animals on the land and human beings. He created man and woman, and he put them in a garden. It was beautiful. And I think the most beautiful part of that garden and of his creation was that he could walk with the man and the woman who were made in his image. What a time that must have been. It's a time I only imagine of. Because we know the man and the woman chose a different way. <clears throat> Things fell apart. We no longer have just that open garden. But we have Jesus coming and saying, I'm coming to bring this kingdom back. I'm coming to bring this back. And I believe there's another passage that, um, that Nicodemus might think of. And it's in Ezekiel great passage. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 36. When the prophet says, then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away. You'll no longer worship idols. I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out of your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I'm going to put my spirit in you so that you'll follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. Wow. That's a transformation. That's an anothen. That's a being born anew from above. He's coming down to cleanse us with water and to, and to cleanse away those sins. But you know what? That's not enough. 
that's not enough. Or, you know, John's baptism might have been fine. And maybe the baptism that Nicodemus did might have been fine because he's making people wet and they get clean and that's it. But no, they needed the power of the Spirit to bring in that new life and that transformation. And I believe that as Nicodemus heard this, his mind is just reeling as he thinks about what he's taught. What he's taught his followers, his, his, his uh, students, that, uh, you know what? We have so many laws, and we've got to figure out how we can live them in the best way possible so that we can please God and somehow make this place presentable so that God will once again want this garden-like effect with us. And he's hearing Jesus, and he's realizing, ooh, you mean you're telling me what I've committed my life to really can't do it? And Jesus is saying, no, flesh begets flesh. That's all it does. All your human effort only begets a human environment. It doesn't bring that spiritual transformation that God has for us. You know, right after Ezekiel 36, and I'd encourage you to go read it, Ezekiel 37. It's a great chapter. It's a wild chapter. It's the chapter of the dry bones. It's where um, God prompted the prophet to go and he had this vision of a whole valley that's just filled not with dead bodies just with skeletons that are all dried out and it pictured Israel uh, this nation that God loved and they had been taken into exile and they, they even said we're just a bunch of dry bones we've lost our purpose where there's nothing here for us anymore why are we even together and God said okay Ezekiel I want you to prophesy over these dry bones and I want you to say I am going to put flesh back on your bones. I'm going to bring those sinews together and you're going to begin to stand up. But even more than that, more than just putting flesh on your bones, I'm going to put breath in your bodies. I'm going to bring the life of the Spirit within you. And you're going to become a nation again. And I believe very much that Nicodemus taught that to his students. Because, hey, they were a nation again. They had seen themselves come back from exile. But they didn't quite catch on to the fact that it needs the Spirit of God to bring the life of God into people. And Jesus is looking at Nicodemus and said, I'm not talking about a nation. I'm talking about you. Tune in. Tune in. Um, yeah. The results of the Spirit's power. You must be born anew from above. Well, Nicodemus says, oh, how are these things possible? How are these things possible? First time he said, how can I, I'm an old man, how do I get back in my mom's womb? And now he's just dumbfounded. How is this possible? And Jesus said, you're a respected Jewish teacher, and yet you don't understand these things, I assure you. Now, that's that phrase. Truly, truly, verily, verily, focus, Nicodemus, focus. I assure you, and I believe this is kind of a little aside, we tell you what we know and have seen, and you don't believe our testimony, but if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how in the world are you going to believe if I tell you about heavenly things? Nicodemus, tune in, tune in, because here, no one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. Let me just stop there. It would have been so easy for Jesus just to say, and that's me. 
He didn't say that. And I think he didn't say that. You know, I'm just going to speculate. That would have been a pretty tough thing for Nicodemus to swallow. He just said, hey, no one's ever gone to heaven and come back and told you. But the Son of Man has come down from heaven and has told you. And then he gives Nicodemus something to kind of hang his hat on. Goes to another story that Nicodemus probably taught his disciples. He says, as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man is going to be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Numbers 21 tells that interesting but odd story about the Israelite people God was providing for them, taking them away from Egypt, taking them to Mount Sinai. And yet as they were on their way, they got frustrated. They had missed the food in Egypt. They started to complain. And so uh, God kind of, I believe, kind of removed his protection from them. And these poisonous snakes came in and they started realizing, oh no, we're dying. God save us. God save us. And so God directed, uh, God directed Moses to take a bronze snake and put it on a pole, stick it up there, and anybody who would look at that and believe that God would heal them, they were healed. And it says they, they, they were delivered. And here Jesus is telling Nicodemus, when you see that happen to the Son of Man, believe. Believe. And I just want to tell you, being born again, being born anew from above, Yes, it results in living as kingdom citizens. It results in living through the Spirit's power. It also results in living for eternity. I don't know about you all. I'm blown away by that. Being purposeful, being able to live in God's kingdom, this amazing kingdom that he started in the beginning, and yet we chose a different way, and now he's coming back to bring the garden back taking his own spirit and infilling us so that we can live in the power of the spirit. And then promising us, you're going to live with me for eternity. And what is it? It's based upon belief in the Son of Man when he's lifted up. I don't think those words ever left Nicodemus. You know, it, I don't know if it was just a few years or a few months. I'm not sure just what the chronology was, but... As things started to culminate in Jesus' ministry, more and more the Sanhedrin got together and tried to figure out how do we get rid of this Jesus guy? How do we get rid of this sideshow that's distracting our people? And Nicodemus stood up in front of that 70 and he said, I don't think it's right for us to condemn a man without hearing first his opinions, his sides. He actually stood up in front of the Sanhedrin and he was ridiculed. He was put down. But then, I believe so much, when Nicodemus saw Jesus hanging on that cross, the words flooded back to him. When you see the Son of Man lifted up, believe in him, and you will have eternal life. Look at what, G what Nicodemus did. This is after Jesus was died, after he, he was taken down from the cross, afterward Joseph of Arimathea, who had been a secret disciple of Jesus because he feared the Jewish leaders, asked Pilate for permission to take down Jesus' body. And when Pilate gave permission, Joseph came and took the body away. With him came Nicodemus, the man who had come to Jesus at night. 
He brought about 75 pounds of perfumed ointment made from myrrh and aloes. And following Jewish burial custom, they wrapped Jesus' body with the spices and long sheets of linen cloth. You know, I believe very much I'm going to see Nicodemus someday, and I'll be able to apologize for having judged him so harshly. (laughs) And I love the fact that he was a sincere follower of God who took the time to meet Jesus at night and to ask his questions and to sit there in awe and wonder. Boy, I challenge each one of us. Do we take that time? Do we take time just to meet with Jesus and ask our questions and and show our wonder and be in awe? I hope we do. I hope we do. This passage goes on. Um, You know, and and let me just say this, uh, John 3.16, which we all know. And I'm going to ask Aaron to come on up. We're going to end with that song that we started with. It's a joyful song. And it's joyful because of the words of this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life, have eternal life. It's God's love that sent Jesus, the Son of Man, down to this earth to take our flesh to tell us about the kingdom that God has for us. It's God's love that allowed his son to be tortured and sacrificed upon that cross for each and every one of us to take our place. It's God's love and power that raised Jesus from the grave. So like Nicodemus, we can look at that son of man on the cross and we can believe. We can look at Jesus risen from the grave and we can believe. And we can take that verse 17 and realize God didn't send his son into the world to condemn us. No, but to save us. To realize that Nicodemus saw God that at times was kind of wrathful. A God that was fearful. A God that he needed to try to live by all these rules and regulations. And Jesus told him, no. He's a God of love who welcomes you to come into his presence. Do you believe that? I want us to sing this song, and I just encourage us, reflect on that. You know, if you need to just renew some of that honest understanding of his love, do so. If you need to, if this is kind of the first time you've heard some of this stuff, and you're saying, Jesus, I want that. I want to believe. Well, Jesus will hear you. I'd, I'd encourage you, if, if any of you, uh, you know, want to pray something like that, please tell us about it, because we want to walk with you through that, too. We want to walk with you. But we want you to know, oh, we can be born anew from above. It will transform us into purposeful kingdom citizens. It will fill us with the power of his Holy Spirit. And today, we live eternally. Let's sing together. If God is working in your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. You can give online at southfellowship.org give or on the South Fellowship app. Thanks for listening today, South Family, and have a great rest of your day.